Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Bogger-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions, and joining me as per usual is my co-host and partner in crime, Miss Sandy Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Uh, it's okay. I don't know. I feel like, uh, I don't know. I never have anything exciting to say because nothing happens in pandemic life, but that's fine. Could be worse. I am, um, I, uh, I feel like we should mention that, uh, I, I am a little sad for the Royal family of England. Cause I don't think we've mentioned this yet that Prince Philip passed away and, and it's given me a lot of anxiety about the fact that this is basically a dry run for Elizabeth passing away and i am i'm not okay <laughs> i i mean i will say like one of the things that i keep like trying to like understand is why everybody doesn't realize this is the dry run that like everybody doesn't realize this is our only live rehearsal like people are i, I see people on twitter going well why why did the bbc drop everything why was stuff simulcast on seven channels at once why why, why would all our programming go away oh we're all so mad i'm like dude this is the only time. This is the only practice run they get. The last time a main monarch died was like the 19, early nineteen fifties. Elizabeth and Philip lived so long that literally no one is alive anymore who did the last one. Yeah, like, like, it's, no, like it's been a generational turnover at the BBC, right? So. Like, we, and, and 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 like nothing that existed exists now existed then. Like all of it is completely different. There's a really good article, and I can't. Uh, oh, it's the Guardian it, article from 2016. London. Oh, Bridge is it has London? London Bridge has fallen. Oh yeah, no, and that, it's yeah. and it's about because I guess that's the code word because mm-hmm. they're all bridges. When eventually this happens, and the Queen is obviously London Bridge, and it's a really interesting look at like all the ways they've planned out how they're eventually going to cover this. But I want to believe that she will just like rule rule England forever in the vein of like King Arthur. Dude, so, she's she's even if she lives as long as her mom to 101, she's only living to. 2026 like it's coming there's 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 no stop i'm sorry i just just i want to believe she's like the once and future queen here um (laughs) anyway r.i.p prince philip okay condolences to all the royals um etc (laughs) etc anyway as you can probably tell this is gonna be like kind of a weird episode for us today i feel like i should definitely preface this by saying yes we are aware what we are going to talk about is technically not a british show um we know yeah this is this is one of those gray areas yeah the other thing though is like we're gonna be doing this more in the coming months simply because we want to make content for your ears and there are not a lot of things for your eyes coming to platforms in the next few months so we're gonna we're gonna wander a little afield and poke at some other things that we like and today um I'm sorry in advance to any of you who follow either of us on Twitter because you will get a lot of our same opinions rehashed here today because Game of Thrones turned 10 in the past week. Number one, feel very old because I just can't believe that it's been like a decade of Thrones already. But I guess the show did run for like eight years, so it's not really that surprising. But it's weird. Like just because this is a show that sort of culturally had such a big impact, like Annie and I were both huge fans and and it really did sort of kick off this era of uh, of British 
British-esque fantasy where where you know the thing about the thing about George R. R. Martin's uh, books is that they are an much like Bridgerton, an American's idea, uh, ideal of 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 a British fantasy. I mean, technically, technically, these books are obviously a very fantastical with dragons and magic retelling of the Wars of the Roses, which is British. So that is my tenuous connection, and I have all the power. Ha ha! I also think that like. It, it introduced a lot of British actors to American audiences in a way that was not in a mainstream way that they had not been before. Like people knew who Sean Bean was. What's up, Charles Dance? But because of like Lord of the Rings and because of James Bond. But like, yeah, exactly. Charles Dance. I mean, you know, PBS heads know him from Jewel in the Crown. But how many other people really knew who he was? Right. Like and it also has introduced this, uh, you know, it has introduced a crop of British actors to, you know, the pantheon who might not have otherwise existed. Like like Richard Madden is a perfect example. Um, uh, we love a king in the north. That's all I got to say about that. You know, and and Maisie Williams has already won like you know up and coming awards and has already been doing like great work. So you know, this is this is a show that has basically sort of like if if prestige TV began on HBO with sort of Oz and then The Sopranos, Game of Thrones is what sort of drove it into hyperdrive, and it spawned so many shows that we watched and loved as anglophiles simply for for existing you know like like literally everything on stars like all of those all of the war of the roses shows on stars exist because of game of thrones um if for that matter uh, american gods exist because of game of thrones um, you may question whether or not american gods should exist but, <laughs> but still no the but, first uh, season was great though it just train wreck city uh you know good even stuff like you know on amazon like good omens um the upcoming lord of the rings series the upcoming wheel of time series um literally everything you know honestly even things like the witcher and bridgerton all exist because of game of thrones like this like basically game of thrones opened the door to the idea of taking ad- adapting fantasy novels for the big screen with a large budget and t- making it a hit like it basically showed that that was a formula that worked um and for the last 10 years like you know like a, a, the last 10 years has been filled with shows that basically would not have existed without it and i feel like that in and of itself is part of the reason why it is so culturally important to anglophiles even if it is like bridgerton written by an american writer and a fantasy of you know european history that 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 that, that isn't real and isn't true and isn't you know you know, and, and, and is, is sort of idealized in its own weird sort of way. Though Game of Thrones attempted to... Part of the reason why I think it also hit is because it tried very hard for real for a sort of a, a gritty realism. Um, so in that way, Game of Thrones is also sort of responsible for a lot of the, you know, dark and gritty takes that we get too. It's also the... Um, it's also one of the reasons that now, like... Uh... Uh, we have all these shows that uh, surprise killed off a major character very early on because like yes and no you know the fact is is that killing the guy whose face is as I put it on the side of the bus is still something that's really hard for shows to do 
right? Like, even The Walking Dead couldn't actually kill off, like, Rick, what's his name? Grimes. His name is Rick Grimes. And that's because Andrew Lincoln has to make movies. Right? Like, they couldn't, but they couldn't ever actually bring themselves to do it. Like, characters get killed a lot. But honestly, I don't think I've ever seen another show truly get to the point where they kill the guy whose face is on the side of the bus. Like, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a show that really pulled that off in quite that way, in quite that shock. And that's partly because, you know, one of the things about Game of Thrones is that it was very, in the very, in the early seasons, it was very, very uh, faithful to the novels. And mm. by recreating some of the novels' twists for the screen, something like the death of Ned Stark was like, it worked really well, um, you know, as it went along and they ran out of books, it didn't do it so well as towards the end. But, you know, I, th- I think that 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 beca- that that really is a thing that no one else has really ever quite had the nerve to do in quite that way and pull it off again. I mean, I just remember I had uh, read the books before the show started and um I can't I might have read them because I heard the show was coming I don't remember but I had definitely read the books before I saw the first season of the show but Greg did not and he I remember very specifically sitting on my sofa watching the first season episode I think it was called Baylor where um Ned Stark dies and the entire time Greg is like oh Arya's going to save him XYZ is going to save him like he did not believe they would actually do it and he he read all the books after that episode <laughs> Oh. But, like, he did not believe, uh, like, he just didn't, even as he was watching it, like, he did not believe that it would happen. Uh, you know, that is actually, like, now that you're bringing that back, like, um, I actually read the Game of Thrones novels around uh, college in the late 90s, right as they were coming out. Um, I was a huge fan of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series. Um, it, it, George R. R. Martin's books were very much in that, seemed very much in that same vein. So I had been a fan for, like, you know, I guess, like, a decade and a half almost when it came out um and i was very very anxious that they not screw that up that they had to get to that and they had to not save him that they had to really kill him and if they really did actually have the nerve to go through with killing him then we had something here and that i i I very much felt that that was the litmus litmus test because you know there were other shows at the time that followed books like uh, dexter is a really good example a terrible terrible show but actually that's not true the first couple of seasons of dexter were very strong and then it just sort of like lit itself on fire and but the moment i knew it would it would light itself on fire eventually is that when it got to the end of the first season it pulled its punch. It didn't actually do the hard thing of making of I forget exactly what it is in the books that they skipped, but they skipped a really crucial like reveal of who he is to someone and they, they didn't have the nerve and they skipped it. And I and that had happened like I think the year before Game of Thrones came out. And I thought to myself, well, if they Dexter this, they're 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 done. I don't I won't watch season two. It won't be uh, it won't be worth it because they didn't because if, if, if they if they blink, this won't work. And they didn't blink. And that honestly is part of the reason why I think I think the show really survived because of that. You know, even even though the Red Wedding became like the big thing, everybody remembers because the flashpoint because people were so shocked by it and it became such a Twitter moment. Um, But honestly, like 
by that time I knew it was coming, right? Like by that time, like if if they didn't flinch with Ned Stark, they weren't going to flinch on the Red Wedding. It would be fine. It, it, it started with not flinching there. And I do remember like people absolutely freaking out when they killed Ned. Mm-hmm. I really, um, I do, one thing I do think J- Game of Thrones deserves so much credit for is that it was... Uh, I, I mean, you see it sporadically now with various things. Usually it's like a Marvel property, something that sort of is widespread across like pop culture. But it is one of the last things that I can specifically remember as distinctly appointment television that we all sat down and watched the same at the same time. And we were all on Twitter. And I remember this specifically because at some point during the final season, I was definitely in Richmond visiting my mom and... Uh, I was like at a ho- I had to make sure I was like at a hotel, like on their crappy Wi-Fi network with like HBO Go queued up in the lobby. Oh my gosh, remember like sitting in hotel lobbies? So weird. <laughs> um, to like watch it on my iPad, buffering constantly because like I had to be like I had to live tweet and I had to like be in the conversation and I had to be experiencing it at the same time as everyone else. And I don't think. I don't think we've had anything really like that since maybe like sometimes sports are like that, but like not really because a lot of people don't like whatever specific sport it is. But Um, I think also um, and this is also just for, you know, from an entertainment perspective, um, Game of Thrones was one of the first shows to really experience mass piracy. Um, And at the top of season five, the first four episodes up and up until season five, all the they would send screeners to critics um, so that we could review it beforehand and we could write our recaps ahead of time. And then at the beginning of season five, the first four episodes had been sent in screeners were stolen by someone and put out on the Internet. And it, season five became the most pirated season of any show ever on television because of this. But after that no screeners were ever released to critics ever again, period. Um, and because of that, um, basically the entertainment world had to stop what it was doing at nine o'clock on Sundays, watch the show as it aired and write their recaps right away. And that is something that also, because the entertainment sphere basically had this appointment television thing, it sort of helped give a, a center point to Twitter and to social media and to audiences to tune in because there was this core group of people who basically had to tune in in order to write about it. And it, 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 I, I, I don't, I don't know how else to sort of describe this. That it was, you um, know, like, I think, I think I would describe it as because while I agree with you, I was never cool enough to get Game of Thrones screeners. So, um, I will try to frame this as more of like a regular person kind of thing. It's the last show that I specifically remember going to work to talk about the next day. Yes, like it, we had like a very like in our office. We had my boss was also a big fan, Heineck. Um. And a bunch of other people like on our floor, some of our team didn't care at all about Game of Thrones. So we would literally have like a meeting on Mondays where we sort of just like downloaded about the show and about what was happening. And some of us had read the books and this this got more dramatic as the seasons went on and like the book part fell away a bit. But like, I mean, that's that's the only real time that I can like think of that happening, like in like literally a water cooler show. 
I, I, I guess I never really had that because a I worked at a before I, I quit to actually like write for a living. Um, the place I worked was not full of nerds. Um, though when I first started working there, the fact that anyone even talked about the show, I work, was, I work for public media. Yeah. We're all nerds. Um, I, I worked, I worked in nonprofit, and the fact that even the that that the two very non nerds, uh, who were like the accountant and like the the head of development would even talk about the show we're even aware of this show we're watching it every week was completely mind-blowing to me and it was the first time i really realized the show had a much greater reach than i had anticipated um and that was during season one when i first started working there was during season one and but by the time the thing is is that like by the time i left that place like nobody there really watched anymore like it would they they'd all sort of given up somewhere along the way and basically part of the reason why i wrote about it so faithfully is because i didn't have anybody to talk to about it and um but the internet loved it and the internet talked to me about it so you know i recapped it every week and then i got a career that way um but when i finally quit like I think that's a thing that I never really had because it, it you say it's the last show you remember going to work to talk about to me it's the last show I remember like literally we moved our schedule so we worked Sunday nights to cover it um rather because the, the you literally shifted one of your weekdays to a Sunday and worked an eight-hour shift on Sunday every week to cover Game of Thrones no show I not not WandaVision not not um, not the Mandalorian, not anything. Nobody moves the schedule in that way now. Like it just doesn't happen, right? Like it's not gonna, it, it, it's not happening for the Nevers. It's never gonna, it's not gonna happen for any Netflix show. Well, partly because Netflix just drops everything at once. But I like, mean, again, it's part of it's like I said, it's part of the last like sort of gasp of appointment viewing because while we all, while sort of pop culture does, uh, while there are a lot of conversations happening about things like Wandavision and the Mandalorian. Um, people are not watching them at the same time. So right. so you have to either... Um, I just remember this specifically about WandaVision because I was so angry about it. Like, you had to basically, like, not get online until you had watched it. Like, and I would get up early so I could watch it and not be spoiled. But that's very different from being, like, at 9 p.m. on XYZ day, we are all going to sit down and watch this at the same time. And, and that's also partly because... You know, even though like they drop episodes one, once a week on Disney, they drop them at three o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. And that's partly for server r- reasons so that like everybody doesn't log on at the same time. I mean, I love many things, but if I'm up at 3 a.m., it's because I didn't go to bed and I am too <laughs> old to still be up at 3 a.m. 20 <laughs> something me would have been all about it. But now I'm like, sleep is great. <laughs> But no, honestly, like Disney does that deliberately. So because a lot of people think sleep is great and don't actually feel the need to get up at three in the morning to watch a television show, um, that's it, that it only the very very hardcore get up at that time. Um, and that's that, that you know that is po- kind of it almost forces us not to treat it as appointment television because they are putting it at such a ludicrous hour. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Like even if I lived on the if I lived on the West Coast maybe because that's only like midnight in LA, but like, who I don't know. That's a question. That's a question. No, I like my 10 p.m. bedtime. Screw that crap. Um, <laughs> because it's not like you can just like inject it fully formed into your brain at midnight. You got to watch it, and that's like an hour. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, back to Game of Thrones. Yeah, I honestly like I feel that the the Game of Thrones really did like do a lot for making for sort of standardizing British actors as central characters in all of our prestige TV shows. That that to be a prestige TV show like having 
a British accent was kind of almost like especially in fantasy series like prerequisite like game of like i don't think game of thrones invented that certainly um because you know lord of the rings and so forth but i i feel like there was a level where television imitated that because it worked for game of thrones so it had to work for everybody else too i mean there are definitely a lot of shows that only exist because they were trying to be quote unquote the next game of thrones and i mean for some that kind of worked and for others it failed miserably but i mean i do think that like shannara i do think oh shannara i forgot about that one it was um, on mtv right well it's not a that you know that's not a deal breaker for me um which also you know mtv occasionally hits gold sweet vicious was on mtv oh that's true but, okay right but um it's more that like i just feel i feel like it, it's really one of those examples of like this was lightning in a bottle for like so many reasons and I want to know what the Earth 2 reality was like where George R. R. Martin finished these books before the series passed him and maybe the last couple of seasons weren't so horrifyingly like problematic. But um I don't know. I don't know if that actually what I don't know I don't know if that actually would have made things better or worse, especially if the main thrust points of the ending are the same across both sort of mediums and also i mean i'm sorry bran is we'll talk about this more in depth in a second but bran is like the worst possible ending um ever like so bad they literally do you remember that time he wasn't in it for a whole season and no one noticed more on that in a second but i'm more thinking of like i don't know it's like a really great what if question because like it's not like the show didn't make some terrible choices even while it was technically still adapting things well okay it's it's very uncomfortable like obsession with rape it's toxic male gaze like it's it's need to sort of harm women to drive stories like that's always always something that i struggled with about this show especially because my favorite character is sansa stark who experienced all of those things like every week and and i don't know if having more source material would have made that better or worse because it was still pretty bad even in the seasons that they had books to work off of. This is the other reason I think Game of Thrones is really important in our culture. And I this is a really hard thing for me to describe, so bear with me here a second. Mm-hmm. I feel like Game of Thrones helped change the culture to the to one that does not accept that the way we used to because it was so toxic like no, no i i actually no i genuinely believe that the rape of sansa stark in season five was a turning point in our culture that there was a pivot at that moment when women said no guess what rape is not a substitute for personality right like harm that, that, that it actually was that it actually went so far that that actually like made that there was had actual flip in our culture at that moment and i do think it was because that's but for those of you who don't remember this i'm not gonna like go into super detail about this but the the part for me as somebody who loves that character more than almost any other fictional character um is not just that it was another horrible thing happening to a woman who had had to endure like a lifetime of horrible things in the past four seasons, but it was because she didn't even get the POV for it. Like it was very like, this is happening to her and the show very deliberately focused on like a completely different dude. Yeah. I, so the thing is, is that when game of Thrones season one came out, 
it introduced things like sex position where literally uh, they had like people trust having me, i love peter baelish but i all because i this is another character that i just adore from the series but like the fact that he was like a brothel owner was so annoying because every so often like people would just show up to have a conversation in this brothel that literally could have happened virtually anywhere else but it was so they could have naked ladies lounging around in the background and not it was just naked li- ladies but literally like sex scenes happening in the background so that you would focus so that you would pay attention and then they would put a ju- a, 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 a buttload of 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 exposition of plot exposition and throw it all at you because they didn't know where else to put it they figured well if you were watching the sex you might actually absorb some of this plot Right, that and th- they literally did this, and it became a joke. Like everybody called this sex position. No, people there's made... a, there's an SNL skit about this. Right, like, and the the, really... the gist of the SNL skit is that Game of Thrones is run by a 13 year old boy. So when season eight came around, one of the first things they did for the first episode of season eight is that they basically kind of retread season one, episode one as sort of an homage to the beginning of the show. Like they recreated several scenes or they they flipped the scene so that it was it was the backwards version of it. And it was very much an episode full of callbacks. And they had a sex position scene. And instead of laughing and giggling and going, wow, what a what a hilarious way to, to, to give people a plot. Everybody said, we're still doing this. Oh, my God. Sex position. This is so disgusting. Why? Why are we accepting this on our televisions? Like literally the same outlets that loved it in 2011 hated it in 2019. And that to me was like the moment where I really realized how much Game of Thrones had almost changed its culture to the point where it no longer fit. I, that is interesting because I agree with you to a certain extent. I mean, I do think part of that is just HBO does stuff like that because they're premium cable and they have to like prove why they're premium cable or whatever. But like it did feel like the show itself never really understood how bad that was. You know what I mean? Like And then and th- and that the culture was literally telling it, look, we're tired of this now, you need to change and they went, Oh, 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 okay, well we'll just have a little less sex, okay? Is that cool? Okay, okay. Well actually we didn't change at all. We just we just we just quietly had less sex. And 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 clearly like they never understood why and I think that's part of the reason why the last two seasons didn't gel the way they should have, because they didn't understand that the culture was demanding they change. I'd like to believe that it's a reason that I got the very sort of personally satisfying scene of Sansa feeding her rapist to his own dogs. But, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't even I know. Like, that's that. another, that's another, I will never forget about that. Um, <laughs> but I also feel like that's another thing that, like, was not necessary for that particular character either, even though it was sort of very, like, viscerally satisfying to me as a viewer. But I don't know if that was, like, the right choice for the story either. But, yeah, I feel like I feel like in the past few days, couple of weeks, as we've all started sort of talking about Game of Thrones again online, like I just um there's just so like I'm trying to think. Joanna Robinson had a great thread. If you don't know who she is, she's a she's a cultural critic at Vanity Fair. She also does a ton of podcasts, is a huge Thrones fan. She had a really great thread uh last week about how how badly uh, Thrones as like a pop culture entity like squandered its audience's goodwill with the last couple of seasons. And it's honestly shocking when you think about it 
like how like you know you always say the phrase like how the mighty have fallen but like seriously how the mighty have fallen like and it's not just that the it's not just that i personally found like the the ending of the show unsatisfactory in a lot of ways i mean granted it gave me sansa's queen in the north which is literally all i wanted um so in that regard i was happy with it but there's just so many decisions that the last handful of episodes make that are I don't understand them. I'm not sure why they thought this was a good idea. Like, it's really, like, it's hard to look back on some of the stuff that I really love knowing that, like, they're just going to screw it up. So, two things. One thing about Game of Thrones that I think failed it, or that it failed itself, is that it bought not just into its own hype, but into its own spoiler phobia. One of the most famous things about the Harry Potter series is that it wasn't finished being written when they first started filming the movies, but that... Literally, the author went up to Alan Rickman, who plays Snape, took him aside and said, here is your entire arc. Do not mm. screw this up. Play this arc. I don't care what other directors say. I don't care what the scripts say. Play this arc. If someone had literally sat Amelia Clark down on season one and said, play this arc. Right. And they didn't. They literally didn't tell her until several weeks before filming those last six episodes. She literally played a completely different character for seven years. Of course, it was bad. She wasn't playing this character because no one had the respect to tell her. Uh, it literally looks like the like Sally Field and Norma Ray right now. She's like, you did. It, re- it really makes me very angry. No, it 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 is it is very unfair to her as an actress because. Mm-hmm. I do think, to a certain point, the books and the show both do the work of setting up Danny's uh, Daenerys Targaryen, the Dragon Queen's turn at the end. I think Mad Daenerys is the only way that storyline could have ever ended. Correct. But the show does not lay the groundwork for that in the way that... I, uh, In the last season specifically, which is funny because that's apparently when they told her, but like... I could I could write you a thesis of how like everything from like her arrival in Marine to the end of the story is the same through line, the same journey of like for all that she goes on about being like the one to break the wheel. She just wants to be at the head of a different kind of wheel. Um, like it's all there, but they go with the laziest way to get there. Like one of the few things I actually. I don't believe we'll ever read the end of George R. R. Martin's series. I don't think he'll ever finish it. He doesn't love the story anymore. No, he doesn't. We'll get to that in a second. But I mean, I think maybe like, who's the guy who finished Wheel of Time? Uh, Brandon S- Sanderson. Maybe he'll write the last book at some point, but I don't think GRRM ever will. But I feel like the books, the one thing I actually think the books will get right is the like sort of the fall of Daenerys Targaryen. But the show just, like, decided, wow, wouldn't it be cool if she just murdered a bunch of people indiscriminately? Like, I think the pieces were there to make that count, but they didn't. They didn't. Um, I think also, if you look at the book, like, the moment I realized that Bran was going to win and have the, and, and, and be the king. <laughs> yes, I know you hate it. But honestly, the first, bad. Cha- the first chapter is Bran's point of view. This was always Bran's story. It is bad. It is bad. It doesn't matter. It's a fantasy. This is this is male. This is male fantasy. And the moment I saw that that was it, I knew that that is actually truly what what Martin was always aiming for, and that this was always the ending. Well, a the sh- I mean, I get you know what? Maybe maybe magically in some way, like he is an author, will somehow find a way to make that work. 
I don't think so because I think he's written himself into a corner with too many other aspects of the story to ever actually bring it back together to that end point. But within the world of the show, like if we just talk about the show as a mm-hmm. narrative. Oh, no. Doesn't do the work at all. Um, like it does not work. No. Number one, Bran is not there for an entire season and no one cared. That was an incredibly poor choice on the show's part because by that time they knew that he was going to be... Like, a whole season, he's not there, which to me says he is not important to the show, to the story that the show is telling. If he can literally be absent for an entire season mm. and it not affect anything else. Number two, the HBO adaptation of Game of Thrones very deliberately makes a choice to eschew a lot of the things that I think in the books are going to make brands uh, sort of rise as king at least like justifiable and that is because the show does not lean into the lore and magic of Westeros the way that the books do like there is it's very hard to televise is part of it I mean I'm not I know but the thing is that's part of the reason that I'm assuming Bran as king will make sense because I get that they didn't want to do Lady Stoneheart I get that it's hard to explain all the warging which is like where the Stark family has this ability to kind of like jump in and out of their direwolves it's a whole thing it's the very heavy fantasy elements elements of the story that the show never cared about and never really bothered to delve into other than they thought it was kind of cool to have ice zombies but all of that stuff is what I think what I assume, and we know what happens when we assume, but I'm assuming that um, all of those things are what will lead up to Bran being the only and obvious choice to be king at the end of the story. But the show does not care about any of those things, and so it doesn't do them. And it just feels like they pick him because he is disabled. I don't... Like, it's very... It's... It's, it doesn't work for the show because the show doesn't do the work at any point in its run to make that character matter or to tell you why his story is so specifically special. And it's because it doesn't do any of the magic or the lore and it abandons the direwolves and it abandons like the children of the forest and it abandons all of the stuff that like plays into Bran's arc. And that's why you can take him out for a whole season with no ill effect. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. Sorry, that is one of my hobby horses. I hate Bran. It's fine. Um, honestly, like not doing the lore is a huge problem. Um, and this actually brings me to what HBO is going to do next, which is that HBO is going to franchise the living. Excuse me, that was my language. Um, like, how can we miss you if you won't go away? Right. Okay. First of all, um, yes, but also, it is very notable that the. The, the the people who greenlit Game of Thrones decided when they decided they were going to do prequels, that they were going to do something that was actually pretty risky. Fantasy prequels? Um, hello, uh, the, the Hobbit? Um, h- hello. Uh, the uh, Hobbit would have been fine if they had just made it one movie. Um, like, no, but, I, mean, I mean, seriously, like, what, what was the name of that stupid Battlestar Galactica prequel? Uh, prequels really don't work a lot of times. So HBO was very aware of that, and they don't usually do spinoffs and prequels. Um so they had this whole thing where they like commissioned like a bunch of pilot scripts like they commissioned like five pilot scripts which is basically unheard of and then they had this derby where everybody read them and everybody decided okay which one's the best one okay this one's the best one okay we're gonna take this one and we're gonna turn this into a pilot and then we're gonna watch the pilot we're gonna decide whether or not this show is worth it right which is a very old-fashioned very careful very plotting way of trying to make I mean because Game of Thrones originally like the first pilot was so bad they had to go back and remake it because 
it was like like they they were very careful about how they were going to do this and the script that they chose is one that is extraordinarily heavy on all of that lore it is and it also leans into all the things the show didn't care about doing it's um it's the story of of the Targaryens, basically, because I think what someone no, took no, away no, from- no, 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 no. I'm not talking about the Targaryen one. I am talking about Blood Moon. I'm talking about the one that was supposed to be ten thousand years beforehand. Oh, right, 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 right. And when the new AT and T heads came in, they said, "Where are the Targaryens? Where are the dragons?" And they tossed it. And now they're making the most boring, the most just standard safe let's have lots of targaryens in platinum wigs and dragons because that's what the audience liked well and the thing is people who are fans of game of thrones the, this is this show is going to be called house of the dragon shocker and it's going to be a story about the targaryen family like several generations back it's going to d- depict something that that fans of of Martin's ice and fire world will know as the dance of the dragons, which is basically like a civil war in the Targaryen family. And it's literally all the things that they left out of Daenerys' storyline. Like if they did not manage to show me Danny's um, sort of descent into madness, I, why in the world do I think that they would be able to do it with, what is her name? Rigar? Oh shoot. I for the lady in dance of the dragons. I I am. I'm a princess. Renee. Um, I, you know what? This is the thing. Like, I will say Renera. Um, it is R H A E N Y R A. Um, and the thing is, is that like, I've always had a problem with Game of Thrones pronunciations. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Like, I read the books. I read the books in the 90s. Okay, her name in my brain was Daenerys, right? Or no, her name in my brain was not Daenerys. It was Danneries. And for mm. 15 years, I heard Danneries in my head. And then they made a show. And it took me until now to actually say Daenerys. Well, yeah, I learned how to pr- I learned how to pronounce a lot of things phonetically. So I feel that. Right. So like I'm looking and I'm going, Renera? Um, I'm not sure. That might not be how you pronounce it. But anyway, she's going to be played by Emma Darcy. And the thing is, and this is why I'm coming back to this and why, you know, we sort of apologize at the top of the show for why we're doing this episode. But, you know, who's going to star in this? Part of, part of it part of it is that we really just wanted to talk about this. But I'm also excited for I'm excited for this cast. Also, House of the Dragon stars Matt Smith. Which I don't know how I feel about him becoming like an incesty Targaryen, but um, I I can't picture him in the platinum wig. I'm sorry, it no, just isn't I coming can't either. <sighs> but then again, I also can't picture I can't picture Emma Darcy in in the in in the blonde wig either. So you know we 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 we're, we got we we got problems here. Like honestly, like I I um, but I you know what? But I agree with you. I think that this is like the least interesting choice for a throne adjacent Thrones adjacent series because it is basically like. I can't help but read this as them taking away that the dragons are the most important part of the story. Yes. And the dragons are not the most important part of the story. They never have been. And even Game of Thrones, the show, doesn't use the lore of the dragons as much as it could because the dragons are so expensive to put on screen. And and I resent, I resent how much character development and how much plot squishing I had to endure in season seven just because somebody wanted to give me a zombie dragon, which was really cool, but Ice Ice Viserion is is not the point of the story. And I feel like this show is just that problem, but a show. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things that has been so interesting about Game of Thrones is how all these people have gone on trying to make the next Game of Thrones without understanding the Game of Thrones wasn't the next Game of Thrones until someone went and took this massive high-flying risk. And a, a spinoff is, by its very definition, the opposite of risk. It is taking the known property and giving you more of it. You know what, though? I think there is a way to do this that works, but it's not what they're choosing to do. Um, because House of the Dragon is basically just like, here are some... Oh, oh, wait, you like dragons? We're giving you dragons on dragons on dragons. And that isn't what I want from this universe. Like, the the way that I think that this works is if they pick something... If they pick something else, they do the fall of Valeria. They do the the Children of the Forest origin story. They do the Duncan Egg books, which are basically like these novellas that Martin has written in this universe where... It's like a buddy road trip comedy between like a hedge knight and a squire and they wander around. One, of, They will eventually be a king of Westeros and his hand. But in the story, they're just like going to villages and doing stuff. And that I think, I think if you want to do something else in this universe, you need to make it distinctly different from Thrones. And maybe you can come back to the dragons later, but like this is not it. Speaking of which, they are actually, House of the Dragon is only the first spinoff this is it's the one that's actually being How filmed right now i miss you if you won't go away there are like six others in different stages of development one of one of which happens to be duncan egg and i i think i read that somewhere but i do really think that's the only one for me that even seems remotely interesting because it's the one that does something different um i also think it's very interesting they are looking at doing robert's rebellion no 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 i am so like mad about that uh, they're not just talking about doing this as a series there's actually going to be a broadway stage play okay i can't even talk about that i need to talk about the robert's rebellion <laughs> thing for a second number one if you're gonna do a prequel like do a prequel that doesn't involve characters from the later show because mm-hmm. that takes all of the like tension out of it i know that robert is gonna survive robert's rebellion because i know that he's the king in westeros when game of thrones starts Plus, you already showed me the most interesting piece of it in Game of Thrones, which is the Tower of Joy. Like, I just this is a joke. Yeah. Um, they are doing okay. The the Broadway stage show, by the way, is the tourney at Harrenhal, oh. which is basically the 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 moment when uh, Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar oh. Targaryen fall in love, and the and the events are put into motion that eventually cause Robert's rebellion. Oh, she's gonna sing like I'm gonna cheat on my husband. The song. Yeah, basically. Um. I I I, 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 you know, like, when they told me Queen's Gambit was going to be made into a Broadway musical, I laughed because chess exists. But then I heard this was going to be a Broadway show and I'm like, I don't even understand. And the thing is, though, I wish I, I think Leanna Sterk is a fantastic character and a really interesting character. And I wish there was a way to sort of give me like a, a limited series about Leanna or something. But I just don't. Uh, you showed me all the good bits already. Um, there's also going to be a Dorn show. <laughs> Wait, what? That yep. is like the worst thing they did. Oh my gosh! They're literally going to do a Mar. They're going to do a Martelli, uh, Martell's family legendary war- warrior queen show, um, which is like. I mean, on paper, I love that idea, and I actually like. I actually really think that one of the places the show falls down the hardest is the Dorn segments, um, because in the books there are just a really a lot of interesting women in Dorn, but the show just like 
the show the show was right to stop doing Dorn stuff because it did not know how to do Dorn stuff. Um, honestly, like I think that I, the thing about Dorn is that it is very fa- it is a fascinating um history. The whole history of it that Martin made up to sort of complement the rest of the continent that it was basically silently conquered by the people who were the enemies of the Targaryens, and that's why when the Targaryens conquered the rest of uh, Westeros, they had such trouble conquering Dorne because it was actually their very old enemies who hadn't forgotten. And I think, like, if you had covered, like, that stuff, that would be really interesting. But yeah, there's a Dorne focus show. Um, let me see, what else is there? Um, oh, The Sea Snake, which is gonna be sort of a House of the Dragon direct prequel. Um, yeah and you know that's this is another thing where i'm very frustrated by this because you know there are also hidden in martin's like histories of 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 fantasy history he actually has like you know stories of women sailors and like you know uh and and these and this is where he hides all of his lgbq kind of stuff um and they're not doing any of those of course they're gonna do like the dude they're gonna do like the dude sailor um and i find that incredibly frustrating too because like like what everything they're doing is so predictable because i mean let's just put this on the table that the best and most interesting parts of game of thrones were the women oh absolutely it's the women you remember it's cersei it's sansa it's uh lady olena tyrell it's marjorie tyrell it's it's these women doing incredible things and surviving terrible tragedies in a world that's dominated by men that is what that is what is powerful about this and i don't understand why no one gets that no one gives a crap about Jon snow <sighs> he is the most like cypher kind of character that you can just sort of project yourself like whatever you need that character to be you can project that onto him he has so few defining characteristics when i look at him and people were like he should be king of westeros when i look at him next to either of his sisters i'm just like this is insane I actually feel pretty bad for Kit Harrington. Um I think this is going this this character will of course be the fi- defining character of his career. Um it is very notice- notable that like since Game of Thrones is over, he has basically quietly retreated to directing and being and 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 the theater. He was in an he was in a BBC show called like uh oh it was about the gun fi- it was about the gunpowder plot. It might have actually been called Gunpowder. Um, yeah, th- that's actually he produced that because his he his ancestor that that was actually about one of his ancestors, like his direct ancestor. Oh, <laughs> and I mean, he did he did uh, marry Rose Leslie, so that's pretty great for him. But and and I I do I do love that Rose I I I, I to my to to this day I still think that um Rose Leslie left um the the employment of uh of the Granthams and 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 Downton Abbey to go to right go time. live beyond the wall I'm sorry like I will never ever not connect those two but like but back to the th- like I just I because I, it's it is all of the women are what drive yeah, this. Absolutely. The women are ma- what make this story remarkable. And I just don't understand. And all of the stories that I just told you that we are doing star men. Ugh. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> um, gosh, we are. How have we already been talking this long about this? We got to wrap this up, but I will try to do a quick, let's do a quick rapid fire thing. Favorite character. Um, <sighs> That's a really that's actually really hard for me. Um, I guess in the end I will say Sansa, though you know for a very very long time it was Marjorie. 
Um, Marjorie deserved better than the yes. ending that she got. Absolutely. Um, um, I, I, I also think Lady, Lady, Lady Olena is one that I that I will always love, and I love the fact that they. Ca- I loved her in the books, and then they cast Diana Rigg, and I love that. And that was. I know, it's just like two great tastes that taste great together. My favorite is obviously Sansa Stark, Queen in the North, and uh, honestly should be Queen of Westeros. I literally just pubbed a piece about this like last week. <laughs> um, I will never be over it. I love her. I have three separate Sansa cosplay dresses in my closet and three different red wigs. Um, I love her. Come at me, internet. I will fight you about her supremacy. Um, Favorite episode? Favorite episode to this day would probably be the uh, the the fight the first fight beyond the wall episode eight season five um, the one where Jon Snow loses to the Night King um, I I have always thought that 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 the ma- that the that that massacre episode that that massacre battle is a one of the best staged in the entire series and I liked that it wasn't it. it Every other fight, you know, some the good guys kind of win. And in that one they don't. And I really I I, I, I loved in I loved that. Hmm. Uh I am probably gonna go Oh, I don't know. Um I have a couple of choices. One is the season six episode called Battle of the Bastards. Um which is incredible to that, look at. That is a really well staged fight too, and it's by the same guy who did the fight in 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 season five, episode eight. Yeah, Sansa gets an amazing moment to like save the day with her army. She she, she gets to um, be Gandalf coming over the ridge in the sun with the sun behind her. Um, it also has that really weird part where they kill Rickon, <laughs> and it it's, should not be hilarious. It is the funny, but it thing. is. Oh, that poor kid. Oh, I hope he has a... Actually, of all the kids who got cast in that show, you know, uh, Sophie Turner is off, like, being happily married to a Jonas. Maisie Williams is already winning awards. Amelia Clark has discovered that she's actually really good at comedy. Um, You know, honestly, like, I think his name is Art Parkinson was the kid who got cast as Rickon originally. I really hope that he manages to get a career out out of this. He deserves it, because that was a (laughs) hell of an ending. (laughs) Uh, another one that I love uh, is uh, from season four. All of my episodes are Sansa related. Just deal with it. Um, season four has an episode called Mockingbird where Sansa goes home to Winterfell for the first time. And and it's just like very emotionally resonant for me. It has the really great scene where she's building the, the castle out of snow. No, that's not where she, she's in the Eyrie in that one. She's not in, she's not Winterfell. Oh. That's at the Eyrie when she goes to see her aunt. Right. You're okay. I'm remembering this wrong. You are correct. It is the Eyrie because that's where she also like puts on the dark Sansa dress, which is one of my favorite costumes for her. Um, I love the fact that they show her sewing it first though. I love so many things I love about Sansa. She's so domestic and we never get to like have women that really like embrace that aspect of themselves and still triumph on their own terms. So I could go on for a very long time about Sansa. (laughs) (laughs) I have. Um, What? uh, Oh, and I guess honorable mention in my episodes list to Baylor, because I feel it's it's a season one episode I talked about before where Ned Stark is beheaded and it's really just it's a great episode it's shocking it's 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 the moment when game of thrones proves that it's going to that it really wanted to be something even if it never actually fulfilled that promise that was the moment where it really did take off 
that was the moment when suddenly all of the people who had made fun of me for all of those years for wandering around with those giant books and reading those. I took one of them on a plane. Right. I took Dance with Dragons on a plane and it is so heavy. Right. Like I, I, all of the people who made fun of me for reading those giant tomes of fantasy suddenly all ran out to their libraries and started reading A Game of Thrones. And I just had, it was a moment of triumph. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Do we have any? Do you have any other basic Game of Thrones? What we like about it? Questions we could do. I did favorite character, favorite episode. Um, honestly, like I would say that my f- my favorite thing about Game of Thrones in general is the costumes, and always will be. They're really wonderful. And they're beautiful. And, and honestly, the visuals and 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 the way that they went, like Game of Thrones, spent tons and tons of money filming all over Europe. And it really used those places incredibly well. And if that, I didn't really want to go to wherever that place is that was supposed to be King's Landing. Oh, oh, it's beautiful. Um, Dubrovnik, um, in Croatia. And actually, um, I know people who have been there, and it's Game of Thrones tourism like crazy. Um, we love to see that. I will take your Game of Thrones tour, people. Honestly, like I think to me, like one of the legacies of Game of Thrones is that TV could look that good. And mm. honestly, part of the reason why I think season eight fell down is that it tried to go beyond what it could do. It tried to really push the envelope and it failed. Um, that, but, but it did, it, when, when, when it hit its marks, I mean, some of, some of, those, some of those scenes are just mwah, chef's kiss. And I, I just, I, that to me is part of why I loved the show so much more than anything else is I just loved going there. I just loved, Westeros isn't a place I would ever want to write fanfic about. It's not a place that anyone ever wants to like fantasize about living in, in the way you might want to fantasize about like going to Hogwarts. But God, it's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> um, And I am really like, for all that I have nitpicks, plenty of nits to pick about about the way that the show ended, about various aspects of its, you know, male gaze or whatever. Like, I'm really grateful for Thrones because it made me feel really cool to be a nerd. And it brought me, like, a lot of great people. I, you know, have met so many awesome internet friends and real-life friends because of the show. And and I am grateful for that. Yeah, I, I have it to thank for my career. I mean, honestly, like, when I got asked to write part-time at a game of thrones website um for real money for the first time um i remember thinking to myself well either i'm gonna flame out and this will be done in six months or i will have a writing career by the you know in six months time i will either have completely flamed out or i will have a career and hey look i have a career (laughs) my improbable writing career exists because some two because two dudes decided they really really wanted to make these books into a television show even though neither of them had ever made television before thanks dudes Dream big, guys, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Have the confidence of, of mediocre dudes. <laughs> uh, anyway, we are really well over time, and uh, I think we should wrap it up. So tell the people where they can find you on Twitter. You can find me at Annie Bundle on Twitter. You can find me at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook. You can find pictures of my cats at Annie Bundle on Instagram. They are fuzzy. Um, let's see. I am a staff writer at Elite daily i am also a regular writer at um 
televisions.org plus i freelance around the web um so yeah basically just if you follow my twitter you're gonna get basically all of my bylines because i retweet them there and that's the fastest way to know what i'm writing about this week so be my friend on twitter thanks oh that little thanks is cute um i am annie's friend on twitter and you can be my friend on twitter by giving me a follow at lacy mb that is l-a-c-y-m-b I also write a lot here at Televisions and around the entertainment web. And yeah, I don't know. It's too much to list. So I always retweet my bylines. Come be my friend. Read all my thoughts on stuff, including Sansa, of which I have written copious, copious words. Um, My cats are on Instagram at Baker and Hammer if you just want to look at their cuteness. And the site and the pod are themselves on social media at Tele underscore Visions on Twitter and Televisions blog, all one word, on Facebook. We are a product of WETA, and if you like what we do, you can visit televisions.org and click on the donate button up top to help us keep doing it and support public media at the same time. So it's really a win-win for everybody. We are, like I said, going to be digging into some fun topics over the next few weeks. They may stretch the boundaries of what counts as British entertainment content, um, but we hope you will stick with us and enjoy the ride, if you will. Um, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, wear a mask, socially distance, hand sanitize, hand sanitize, and please, please, please get vaccinated as soon as you are eligible to do so, which should be everyone pretty soon, I hope. Um, That is our yammering on for the week, and thanks for sticking with us. We will see you soon. 